Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to Rabbit Hole for sponsoring On the Other Side. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. The Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, Rabbit Hole underscore GG. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Reggie James, who is a multidisciplinary designer, co-founder of Eternal. Reggie, thank you so much for coming on the show. For sure. This is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun. I am very excited to chat. I've been following you on Twitter for a while and <laughs> every time you tweet I'm like, okay, I need to read this four different times to understand the depth <laughs> of thought, which I really appreciate. So, I cannot wait to dive in to everything that's been on your mind. Before we do that, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole? Yeah. I think like many people, it's kind of like your friends passing you cigarettes and you say no or yes. Um, (laughs) And I was honestly in school still, this was like 2016. And my friend Dylan Chen, who's, you know, crypto founder and just like an OG, he was just building, he's a builder. And he was just showing me things. He's like, you need to read, you know, this white paper, you need to read this. And I'm just like, dude, I'm trying to build the next Snapchat. Please get out of my face with these little coins. Um, <laughs> and had I listened to him, I probably would be pretty, <laughs> a lot, a lot more financially happy at least. And you know, very similar thing happened again when Mike from Rainbow and I became good friends, and we built a little joke website. And he was telling me how I needed to get Unisocks, and he's like. This is like the first intersection of like crypto and culture. Like you're going to, you're going to regret it. I was like, please get these dumb little socks away from me. Like, what? <laughs> and that was the second time that a good friend of mine, I just didn't trust them. So now my thesis on life is just that all of my friends are correct. And that's the amount of research that I have to do um, because I will never not get rich three times in a row from a friend telling me. But honestly, it was just friends like you will love this once you dive in, just get over the hump. And Once I started reading white papers and just messing around with very, you know, simple applications like Uniswap and just understanding kind of that feeling of what it meant to engage in Web3, uh, it just turned into, to be honest, like four months of kind of staying up until 3 a.m. reading and playing with tools because that's kind of how my brain works. I reject things for a while and then it's just kind of a bender from there. I feel like I'm the same way. It's like a new system that I highly doubt. And then once I'm convinced, I'm just fully immersed and obsessed for a while. Exactly. Before you dove into that, what was your focus? I mean, it sounds like you were doing some social stuff. Mm -hmm. It feels like you have a background in or at least 
seem to think a lot about culture as well. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what what you were thinking about prior to diving fully in to the the crypto bender. Yeah. I mean, I think to be 100% honest, I've always been a very consumer-minded individual. In school, I kind of started diving into technology at large. And, um, you know, there was these series of New Yorker profiles, and there's three of them. There's one on Sam Altman, there's one on Peter Thiel, and there's one on Mark Andreessen. And junior into senior year, I just kept rereading them. I really just wanted to understand what their story was, like their true, genuine path. And there's a lot of funny common threads that happen between them that we don't have to get into. But that really just convinced me that there was this thing called technology. Because at the time, I went to Wharton undergrad at Penn. And my path was just like, I'm going to be a hedge fund person until I realized I was going to shoot myself in the face if I kept in (laughs) finance. And um, so once I uh, left school, um, I was doing rough draft ventures, which is part of General Catalyst. Um, I was doing that senior year because Peter Boyce took a chance on me and they funded me straight out of school to make this app called Sushi, which was all like this consumer, kind of like Clubhouse, but kind of, you know, aim chat rooms instead of voice chat. And when that didn't work, I honestly just went crazy in my little Red Hook apartment with like all white walls and white floors um, and my heater was broken. So for three months, I kind of just had like (laughs) insanity time where I sat down and just started writing in my journal what I believe to be like the themes of the world, which is just kind of like we are constantly on a quest to solve for our bodies. We're constantly on a quest to move our bodies. We are constantly on a quest to communicate with our bodies. And I just started writing these like macro themes. And those macro themes kept bringing me back to like these ideas and notions of culture and interaction. And so that really has just been the common thread of everything that I do. And it hasn't really changed even as I go down the Web3 rabbit hole. I think like all of my notions around Web3 are still very based in these larger cultural questions and what does it mean just like day-to-day living interaction relationship because that's what it is at the end of the day still i feel like we forget that sometimes we forget that we're just like humans that live in a physical world because we get really swept up in this world of software and fake internet money and we think (laughs) that's like real so this concept of being rooted in the the way that we physically experience the world is really interesting and grounding to me. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to you, like how has navigating Web3 been with that as one of your core grounding principles? Yeah. Well, I think what's funny about Web3 is that it's full of contradictions. Like Web3 might be one of the most physical communities I've ever witnessed. And I think part of that is just like divine timing of kind of coming out of uh, COVID or what have you, but there's a real, and we see it with every conference and the insistence of conferences in general, um, there's a real desire to be physical with one another. And it's funny because I think when the media thinks about Web3 or crypto, you know, they think of some loner dork in their basement typing away, (laughs) but that, like, that's very far from the truth. Not saying that they're aren't naturally awkward individuals but the point is like even they are finding really deeply rooted physical community through this medium and there's all of these kind of 
like McLuhan-esque reversals of what we would think would come out of this medium and the people that engage themselves with the medium. And it happens to be like largely communicative, community focused. I think the the point that maybe you and I have a really strong opinion on is the fact that the products that we derive with the medium tend to be incredibly, I would say, recursive and kind of uh, simulacra era esque in the sense that like they keep referring and forking back into each other. And it's just like, what is this grounded in? Like, what is the reference point here? Where, how does this uh, system kind of sustain itself or what does it root itself in? I think that is like a very <laughs> large open question and potentially an existential one when we think about this space. Yeah, you had a piece in crypto culture and society, which for anyone who doesn't know, is sort of this like curriculum around Web3 that was about expanding cultural reference points. Mm. And I absolutely loved this piece. And this is when I was like, oh my God, I hope I can get you on the podcast because this would be amazing to dive into. Can you talk a little bit about where that piece came from and then maybe what your points were in that piece? For sure. It's a little bit in the back of my mind. Um, so, you know, forgive me, audience, and for, <laughs> forgive the conversation if I don't get, you know, all of it. The main theme, in my opinion, is that everything, everything that we do is reference point. How we relate to an object, to an idea, to others is on the basis of do we share uh, reference points, right? And so by that, I mean, like, a conversation can be held for five hours if we read the same book. We can cry at the same film if we have a shared experience that is being portrayed in that film. And when I was just kind of looking around at all of these projects within, like, the Web3 ecosystem, I kept feeling that we just kept pulling from the same reference points. And those reference points are a very particular culture. Even the term metaverse is stemming from Snow Crash and Neil Stevenson, which is a very popular sci-fi book, but like you have to really know that to even understand the basis of the term. And so my point is a lot of crypto is based in dark literature, dark notions, a hedge against kind of our current systems failing, which is really dark, right? Like that that's just all very dark. And my entire point of the talk and what subsequently became kind of the recap piece is that one, we need to expand our reference points in order to expand the audience. We need to expand our reference points in order to bring new energy into what then gets produced out of those reference points. And we should really be finding new reference points because I think that dark narratives just kind of produce certain results and therefore certain behaviors. And so um, I'm very into light as a medium. I'm very into James Terrell, whose entire medium is light. And honestly, software is just like pushing light across the world, like it renders and pixels and what have you. And so my whole thing kind of like wrapping that that talk up was we need to find new sources that are driven by uh, light-based narratives and what that might produce in the subsequent Web3 ecosystem and culture. 
when I read that, it blew my mind because it felt like it tapped into this interesting tension that I'm feeling as someone who exists within the ecosystem, which Mm -hmm. is definitely this dark side that you're talking about where I was kind of like grappling when I first read this with the question of, are we just like recreating what science fiction has already written? (laughs) I mean, one always, like we always are, you know, and this is why I did encourage everyone to read Snow Crash because from Snow Crash, we get Google Earth. Like there is a program that is, uh, legitimately Google Earth in that in that book. And it's what Google Earth like points to in terms of like, yeah, this was part of the inspiration for it. At the same time, there's a piece of technology in that book in which like the CIA is essentially the library of the United States. <laughs> and you can mm. get cryptocurrency basically by submitting almost like a s- citizen-based kind of videos of like crime or whatever and if that's pulled by the government organization then you get like cryptocurrency which is literally essentially like if citizen was play to earn right and so like mm-hmm. you know we once something is written it will be built like that's something i genuinely believe and i and i wrote an essay a long time ago that was where i said this bar something to the effect of like building a startup is like writing fiction in slow motion but what i mm. potentially should be saying is like once, like, it is both writing fiction in slow motion, but it's also copying fiction that's already been written at some point. And yeah, there's, you know, the Bible says it, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, we we will consistently kind of create or recreate these notions. I was flipping through the whole Earth catalog, access to tools in my office a couple of days ago, and there's a whole page several pages just based on the idea of tokens and new tokens for commerce. And so, you know, that was written in late 60s or early 70s. Like, <laughs> again, we're, it's, all, it's all there. This all, this all happened. It does almost make me wonder when you talk about the term metaverse and this question of creating things that have already been written. Mm-hmm. Like, I know in that Crypto Culture and Society piece, you linked an interview with Tyler, the creator, who was talking about reference points, but was also talking about reference points that he didn't quite have, but that Mm -hmm. other people had. And that changed how they engaged with his music. And so I'm curious how you think about that. Like how much does awareness of a certain reference point change the way that we engage with it, if at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, it changes everything, right? Because there's a difference between a box And it's just like, it's really thin shell, but it looks like a beautiful box from a distance. And then there's a difference between a lead cube, right? Like how dense Mm. is your reference point matrix? Because the metaverse and like those stories expand far past just like Snow Crash, right? If you have Snow Crash as a reference point and that's your reference point of the metaverse, you're not thinking of Ted Chang's life cycle of a software object. You're not thinking about Ready Player One, but maybe your reference point is only Ready Player One, but not even the book, the movie. So now your reference point is solely VR and based in like a film structure that was kind of like a hollowed out version of the book in the first place. And so everything is going to change whatever your history is. And then all of the, you know, personal, just like life stuff, your history of like whether or not you spend time on AIM or on Urbit or on 
monkey, right? Like all of these different products that emerge beforehand, or you could be like 16 and you're getting on the internet and the first thing you're coming across is, you know, Uniswap somehow but there there is like a kid that exists and the first website they open in their life will be uniswap like what does that mean and what does that do as their first internet-based reference point so i think it changes everything and just like communication i say something to you it's not taken in raw and at face value it mixes in with your history of every time you've ever talked to a man Every time you've ever talked on a phone or in a podcast, if I'm referencing something, every time someone else referenced that, like, did you like that person? Did they have something in their teeth? Like all that goes into just like a simple sentence that I say to you. And that produces a whole host of potential outcomes. I was going through some of your tweets. You had this tweet that was basically like, don't say that you're building new systems and then going to South by Southwest, which sparked a lot of conversation. Yeah, I was um, surprised because I was going on a flight and I was just like, one more silly little tweet for the silly little <laughs> Twitter. And then I got a text and I was like, hey, um, you know, a lot of people are quote tweeting this because I didn't realize I had Wi-Fi on my flight. And then I <laughs> I got on Wi-Fi and I was like, oh, Jesus, like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Um, but yeah, you know, you got you to gotta send a probe right before you go offline just to keep it spicy. Of course, the spicy takes always, especially if you're if you don't think you're going to be available. That's like the best version. But <laughs> what I thought was interesting and this kind of took me down a mental logic rabbit hole, mm-hmm. which was that what ensued on Twitter seemed to be this conversation about building new systems and you had this point that I definitely want to dive into about building our own systems of like validation Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that stuff. And I loved that. What it kind of feels like though, and where it where it brought me mentally was like, oh, it's about building our own reference points, basically, mm-hmm. as opposed to relying on reference points from old systems that we think are broken effectively. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like it made me realize that the reference points that we hold ourselves to are the ones that we then sort of respond to. And it really felt like South by Southwest was this perfect (laughs) version of it. I don't know if if there were like modifiers that you would put on that, but I'm curious if you think that that is in and of itself a reference point. If South by Southwest is a reference point? Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few points to kind of like that probe. And so I'll try to remember them all and respond to them as best as possible. So to deconstruct it a little bit, which I I did like slightly in a subsequent thread, I think that a lot of the rhetoric around Web3, around crypto, is one of like urgent existential crisis. This is the future of the internet at stake. This is the future of the individual at stake. This is the future of wealth creation at stake. And it's just like, if all of those things are true, if we can hold all those things to be true, then there is no way in hell we should be looking at those old systems that are apparently oppressive to be giving validation to what we're building, right? Mm. Like that is just fundamentally like in opposition. And so if all these things are true, then why are we bringing all this energy to convince each other to go to South by Southwest? Like you actually do not care or or you are not taking the 
claimed existential risk as seriously as you should be if those are your like subsequent actions. And I think people found a way to kind of come at that tweet because I think anytime you tweet something about like someone's actions and how that may relate to their identity, they you're prone to be on the defensive, right? There's a whole mm-hmm. McLuhanism about like people seek identity through violence, both literal and figuratively, holding oneself in opposition to then define oneself. And yeah, I think that was like the reaction to it. But I think that point is really at the basis of it. And this is why I, I still really struggle and question when Sotheby's does an NFT auction. Like it doesn't make sense. The whole point was to not have Sotheby's do anything. Like what is this weird validation loop? And what are the new validation loops we have to make in reference to our own system that we've crafted? Like that's what makes engineering magic. You can literally build a system, look at the design of that system and point to where does validation come from? Where should it not come from? And if we keep looking back to the thing that we say is an existential risk to the future of our mediums, our objects of desire, we can't look at those things as validation points. And so then... I guess to get to like your final like piece on like South by Southwest as a reference point, South by Southwest is a huge reference point. It's a reference point for film. It's platformed sitting presidents. It is where a lot of Web2 platforms got their start. I believe Twitter like blew up at South by Southwest. Um, You know, I think Airbnb got a really big boost by South by Southwest, like to uh, do accommodations. If I remember correctly, it was like, Foursquare maybe also got a huge like South by Southwest push. Like the, like the story just repeats itself and repeats itself. And it's just like, well, listen, it's not, it's not like Web3 is short of conferences by any means. Like, what are we doing? Where's the culture at? What do you actually care about? Because if you actually just care about rebuilding clout on Twitter, then just say that. But if you care about like building new systems and the implications of the new systems, like it needs to feel punk rock, like it needs to feel streetwear, like it needs to feel like a subversion of all of these mediums. And I just, I don't don't know, I'm getting worked up, but like, I just, I just don't feel like that's there. And then people got really defensive about it, which just kind of like proved my point. Like, okay, you really like, you know, (laughs) you know, it kind of is what it is. Um, But at least be honest with yourself or else you won't be able to do anything. Right. It's so interesting because it feels like a lot of this comes back to this idea that our identity and validation of our value is still coming from old systems. And I do almost wonder why don't we have those things? Like why haven't we built? I mean, I I don't know. I guess FWB and other types of communities have done some interesting experiments here, but I'm curious Why do you think we're at that point where we haven't really built all of our own sources of validation yet? Or even Mm -hmm. honestly, like, why do we celebrate when Pepsi tweets GM still if we claim to not (laughs) give a shit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I think that so I think there's two pieces that one is like the medium, like the nature of the medium. And the second is like the wider cultural adoption wave i'll do the easy one first like i think people get excited when pepsi tweets like gm because they view it as their culture being adopted and therefore like it's inherent or presumed maybe like expansion of said culture 
Mm-hmm. And through that, like Pepsi tweeting GM means anyone that follows Pepsi is going to see this GM and perhaps go down a rabbit hole. And maybe that brings in, you know, 10,000 new people, right? I think there's definitely less than like 2 million like wallet holders. Like this is so disgustingly early that the mm-hmm. fact that Pepsi would even do something like that, you know, those are culturally significant moments. But now we have to go back to the medium. Like, what is it about this medium that that does this to us? I think one of the reasons we don't have separate systems of validation is because the system of validation is inherently by the medium financially legible, which is the most extreme version of capitalism, right? And it's publicly available. I can look in someone's wallet <clears throat> and get a pretty good estimate of like their actions and their worth. Mm. No one wants to, no one wants to admit that that is the final source of validation in this space. The final source of validation is the market. Like when meaning making becomes synonymous to market making, to ownership making, you have a really interesting dynamic at hand. What is in your wallet? What does that tell me about you? is a really wild thing to have publicly available and the basis of validation. Do you have a punk? Do you have a board ape? All these things say something about you, but they're also incredibly financially legible. Therefore, I have a sensibility of, do you potentially have $2 million you know, in ETH pretty much like out of snap of a finger? Like that, that is a wild thing to know about someone without their permission. Web2 and these systems have allowed for this economic mobility as well as this kind of like status mobility purely based off of what one is able to produce in a non-financial way or at least in a discrete financial way because it's not inherently legible by the medium itself. And that's a really interesting position to be in as a medium and as an ecosystem. And like the final thing I'll say about that is it's such an engineering ecosystem that when people are like, no, you can just build it. It's just like, not everyone's a software engineer. Like the, mm. the best part about web two was like, it was, can you write? You get popping on Twitter that can turn into something else. Can you like take a photo? Can you be hot? Can you be funny? Like, <laughs> can you be hot? Is like a weird one. Like it's kind of a lottery, but like all, you know, all these things were not necessarily can you sit down and write X amount of code? I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying like, that's what the medium is. Whereas the Web3 medium is like, you don't write solidity, you can't code. It's like, can you maybe design? But it's not like this is the best design space or even design focus space. So like, you know, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole thing to get into there. But yeah, these, these systems are inherently financial and inherently engineering based. And I think that creates a really interesting new layer of distortion on what it means to build validation build identity that's a whole essay in itself i guess oh my gosh yeah i feel like you this is the tweet of yours that i i'm still trying to wrap my head around but i'll read the first one out loud and then we can dive into it because i feel like it's very related with this (laughs) which is all new mediums expand the spectrum of their axes web3 slash crypto is our best tool to subvert our notions of capitalism and the purest distillation of capitalism, Mm. which I feel like is kind of what you're getting at. So like the way that I understood this tweet, which might not be the way you meant it, so I'm curious, (laughs) is like 
Web3 makes these things so explicit that it gives us space to, I don't think this is the right terminology, but push beyond caring so much about the existence of that thing and be like, how can we play with it? Kind of like media more broadly Mm -hmm. for the internet and the way that you're talking about where it's like, it's no longer the thing that people care so much about, like the fact that this exists. And so that creates so much space to push beyond it more broadly mm-hmm. and almost takes away some of the power of the actual existence of the medium. I don't know if that's the right way to put it or if that's mm-hmm. how you meant it, but that's kind of how I interpreted it. And I'm very curious what your thought process was on this. For sure. For sure. Um, no, I, I like that interpretation. I dig it. You know, I think um, this this was really meant as a probe. And by that, I mean, like, you know, I had a lot of ideas of, <laughs> of what I meant by this, but I also had a very wide interpretation of it as well. But to to start at the basis of the tweet, one of my favorite books is Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Cars, who passed away, I think, like early 2020, maybe, if I remember correctly. But the book like really had an impact on how I think about life. And there's there's a part there, or maybe, wait, was it in that book? Or was it in What Technology Wants by Kevin Kelly? Huh. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a mix of ideas from those two books. But the point being is that all new things expand the notion of whatever axis you put them on. And it goes in both directions. You create the TV, there will be deep education. There will be beautiful religious ceremonies being shown for the first time. There will also be pornography, where depending on who you are, maybe that's not what you want on TV. There will be WWE Super Smash. Again, depending on who you are, maybe that's not what you want on TV. But the point is you can see like the deep difference between those two programmings, those four mm. programmings. And so it again, it, it expands outward and there's nothing that you can do to stop that. And when I keep looking at what this medium means, I think that it's a real true meta system just like capitalism is a meta system you there is no like capitalism isn't going anywhere it's too good in terms of like its own imposition of itself just like technology technology has an incredible way to reflect itself back to us and thus we continually tinker with it capitalism the same way it reflects itself back to us and we continually tinker with it and the initial probe is just like because we we have this new medium, it's inherently financial and it exists on a meta spectrum of monetary, political, philosophical systems, just like capitalism does. Capitalism is just not money exists, right? It's like, it's our politics. It's what drives certain wars. Like it, it has a very fullness of being. It's the way art is governed in a lot of ways. And just so, like, I think we just exploded it even more with this new technology. And it's maybe one of the most consequential technologies in that sense. And it's unlike previous capital systems, which, you know, maybe you had to be at a bank to utilize, maybe you had to be part of government to utilize. This is truly codable and international from the get, which is absurd. And so it, it both has this potential to subvert our current notions and push capitalism, money, money making, all of that into previous frameworks that 
essentially would not work under the way we previously thought about capitalism. But it's also just like so purely capitalistic. Like I can make my own money and make you buy that money. That's probably the most capitalist thing that you could do. Like, make, like literally make a new money and force people to buy it with their old money. That's like absurd. Like that is actually wild. If you like went back in time and brought that to George Washington, he'd be like, what <laughs> are you, what are you talking about? Like my face is supposed to be on this. Why is my face not on it? But, <laughs> but the thing is we made it so that everyone can put their face on it. And to your point on like crypto is media. It's like, yes, that's, that's the thing. We made it as fluid as media now. It is, we've turned money into light and we can just kind of like turn on flashlights at will. And sometimes a battery dies. And sometimes, oh, I guess that one was actually tied to a nuclear generator and it's never going out. That is like an entirely new spectrum of living to to be on. Um, so that was the basis of that probe. Where are we supposed to where are we supposed to go from there? I mean, we could I talk really about loved that onward and onward. Well, my where my brain goes and where I start to think is I've had a few people on the podcast and have heard this more in conversations with a lot of people. There are definitely mm, notions of like transcending the – gosh, I don't really know how to put it. Basically, this came from a space where I've had a few people on the podcast who have talked about this notion of like abundance – Mm-hmm. and shifting towards more of an abundant mindset. Mm-hmm. And that actually being this like almost transcendence from the parts of capitalism that don't feel good, maybe mm-hmm. is a way to put it. I don't know that that's a fair characterization, but kind of. I'm curious if you think, because I think this is at the core of what a lot of those conversations got to, I feel like there was this concept of like by building capitalism into a technology like what you're talking about where it's just like this this thing that we've created that's like going to be used in a million different ways that feels inevitable is there an opportunity for transcendence beyond the system the system being capitalism or is it that because we're existing within this capitalistic system like there isn't really opportunity for transcendence i don't know if that's like way too loaded mm. of a question but that's where my brain goes and i'm curious how you think about that yeah hmm yeah and when you're referring to like transcendence you're you're referring to like transcendence in the means of like breaking out of the system like that's the definition of transcendence here Yeah. Which actually does kind of go back to the South by Southwest thing, I think maybe in some ways, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not, not related. Yeah. I mean, no, I think I have a very particular view on transcendence, like kind of as a Christian, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that like in an economic sense, like there is no such thing as transcendence. Like the system is the system billionaires commit suicide like life is life right (laughs) and that life is like within or in interplay with whatever our economic systems are i think that there is a spiritual shift that has happened in web3 that i find interesting to watch and characteristically non-religious people in which they feel this new sensibility around abundance and what that means for them in everyday life. I find that absolutely fascinating. I do not know the answer to why that is, 
I think that what has happened is their notions of value creation has essentially expanded much wider than it was before. And that has affected them, right? Like that medium has had a, a really deep effect on them. And it's something that I want to study more. I don't know if I believe in economic transcendence. I do believe that mediums affect us in very compelling ways, the same way that the phone, the internet has at large. I believe that Web3 is a new medium and that because it's financially legible, people have gotten a whole new sense of how the previous systems have kept certain legibility away. I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a new it's a new access of kind of, I guess like manipulation is kind of the right word. And I think that power has been away from the vast majority of people for a really long time. You know, it's kind of like when someone gets put in charge of a team for the first time and a lot of new behavior starts showing in them. I think in that same way, what this has done for a lot of people is put them in a position of kind of, and this probably goes back to like self-sovereignty or what have you. It has put them in an entirely new individual position of like, oh, I really can have a ownership mentality while seeing these just like new, fresh senses of economically legible tools. And yeah, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not like surprised by that feeling, um, but I don't think I have. <laughs> to bring it back to reference point, I don't think I have a, a similar reference point to have that that feeling with them. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think more study on what that actually is would be really interesting for the space more broadly because I, I also do wonder if it's just like being in a certain part of an economic system such that mm-hmm. you have the power to not worry about certain things and that creates – the mm-hmm. feeling. I don't know. I think and that's huge, right? Like, I mean, for a little like context is like my dad grew up the oldest of eight, very poor in in deep Brooklyn when it was properly, you know, not gentrified. My mom's the youngest of seven whose family immigrated from Dominican Republic and like lived in the Lower East Side. Like their notions of what they grew up with economically to who they made themselves to be, like, I would say probably upper middle class. We like, I grew up in the Poconos. They have a real, again, I don't think they call it transcendence, but they have a real new sense of their economic place and what that has allowed for them mentally, right? Like there, there is a mental burden to wealth inequality, to being cash strapped. When that breaks for an individual, yeah, I'm sure that feels like transcendence. My reference mm-hmm. point is like my parents moved up in like the American story and I grew up playing competitive golf. That's like, that's like my reference <laughs> point, right? So like now, like my reference point isn't necessarily like a sense of economic, like I'm trying to break out of something. Like I am in a different zone where I don't really have to think about that because I am Ivy League educated. I have, my partner is also Ivy League educated. Like we will be fine at the end of the day. Anything I do now is for like a deep sense of responsibility of like what it means to build. But for some people who got an ENS airdrop and previously they had no sense of having potentially 
80K in their bank account at one time hit something, right? Depending on how active you were. Like, yeah, that's transcendence. Like when I when I sold like one of my NFTs for something that was like what I consider absurd, like in that moment, <laughs> that was transcendent. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, no, it it makes, the more I say it, like the more it makes sense. Because I think it really actually just goes to highlight how much of crisis to crisis a lot of people have been going through, particularly financially. And so, yeah, the more I think about it, the less surprising transcendence is the word. Yeah, but I think you're totally right that the fact that the term transcendence is the way to describe it and that feels accurate and fair speaks to the power of capitalism on the individual at a physical level. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you said it. I, I mean, <laughs> it, like, it, it's, again, reference point, like, I think capitalism with all of its flaws is good. I think capitalism works to an extent, again, with all of its flaws and has the best ability to be designed within to then create new scenarios for wealth creation, uh, opportunity, education, all of those good life marker things that is the human project. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I agree deeply. Yeah, and I think there's that famous quote about capitalism not being a good system, but it's the best one that we have, <laughs> which I always think back to where it's just like, there are a lot of flaws with it. And there are lots of other interesting arguments. Like I, I remember when I sort of was originally getting into crypto, Glenn Weil and Vitalik were like very much going around talking about radical markets. I don't know if you ever read that book, but at the end, they sort of suggest that like once we have more computing power than the sum of all individual computing power, which is effectively what capitalism uses today, like, mm. you know, deciding whether or not to buy milk at a certain price is an individual computing value. Mm -hmm. So there are all these interesting future things. But that aside, I think that's a, a really interesting note to end on. But before we do that, I have a section at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It could be an NFT, an ERC-20, anything. But what is your favorite thing? Hmm. What is my favorite thing in my wallet? I just opened my wallet just to make sure I'm not. I know. I should tell people before <laughs> because it's like asking you to choose your favorite child on the spot. <laughs> That really is the level. Okay, so there's there's two things. One is like one is like real and like sentimental, and then one is kind of hilarious. So um, I've had like the opportunity to become, I would like to say, friends with Dom Hoffman, which has been incredible, particularly this past year, you know, and a half. Because like Dom Hoffman is in his Larry David era. Like this man is just like not missing. Like he's just in complete flow. And it's absurd. But Dom was just showing a couple of friends um, some art and it was like this generated flower. Um, and I was like, I really love that. Like, how much ETH would you want? You know, just let me know. And then he just like sent it to me and he minted it as for Reggie. And it's just like one of those things. Oh, that's that, like, so cool. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those things that feel like very special and also show like, you know, NFTs are a permanent object of affection as well like i'm never going to sell this i have it forever it's minted it's clearly from dom and the financial legibility under it is essentially non-existent right and we can build things that way we can build things within this system that 
don't necessarily have to be tied to some other like writer beneath it. It's just about doing it. And then the funny one is I was, let's just say, partying with some friends. And as parties goes, you know, I was feeling a type of way. And I was on ENS and I was just like, oh my gosh, Chris Dixon.eth is available. Like this is <gasps> this is hilarious. And I pulled the mic and I was just like, yeah, this is just gonna be mine now. And I've messaged Chris, like Chris and I are <laughs> we are very friendly. We have a good relationship. And um yeah, I own Chris Dixon.eth. He has a separate like ENS that he actually uses. I tried to give it back to him multiple times. He thinks it's funny. So yeah, I own Chris Dixon.eth and that's like hilarious that A16Z hasn't, you know, killed me yet. I think they they like me a little too much. So that's That's really funny. That's, that. that's kind of like a flex that you've also tried to give it back and he's like, "No, I want you to have it." Like it also memorializes a relationship where it's just Again, like Exactly. Keep this. Yeah. I I don't need it. Keep this. I don't need it. Now you have to like handle renewing it every time you want to keep it, idiot. Like that. <laughs> like it's kind of it's kind of on me now. Uh, yeah, it's there's this Kanye tweet where he's like, "I hate when I'm on a flight and I wake up and there's a water bottle next to me." Like, oh great, now I have to be responsible for this oh, water yeah. bottle. <laughs> I've like seen that's, that. Yeah, that's how I feel. It's like great. Well, I I got it as a joke, and now I have to like renew it and have to be responsible for this ENS handle. Uh, You're probably going to get a lot of spam on it also at some point if you haven't already. So I haven't connected it to my wallet. That's the key. If you're going to to hold a lot of addresses, do not connect them. Like just just keep it as a little, you know, as a little card. That is very smart. I had never even considered that you could do that. It's also expensive. Not legal or financial advice either. (laughs) Just just so everyone knows. Do your own research. Do do your own research and you're listening. (laughs) I love that. Well, Reggie, where can people find you You and learn about Eternal if that's something that's interesting? Yeah, we're hiring a bunch across many different secret internal product groups because we never build one thing that's boring. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you can find me at Hip City Reg pretty much anywhere, Instagram, Twitter, and then, you know, everything branches off into the interwebs from there. That's like plenty of guidance beautiful. Well, Reggie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to chat. Thank you. This was great. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you, or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.